to what? The pandemic episode. Oh, Not that just, it's going to be oh themed or anything, but just we're here. This, we are recording what this week in isolation. Isolation. Can you put like an echo on my voice when I say that? Yes. Isolation. Isolation. Chelsea is actually across town as we are boarding up with our boys. <laughs> I'm one of the boys. Miles is one of the boys. Oh, Miles is a boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad never believed in me, but I told him one day I'd be one of the boys. Aww. He probably did believe in me. I don't want to throw my father under the bus like that. He's a kind man. I'm not Johnny. (laughs) Yeah, I'd never do that to Johnny. Well, as you guys can hear, we have Miles Luna back with us. Hello, I'm Miles Luna. Luna! I'm losing my mind. Yeah. So how are you you guys? So... Charles, how long have you been in sort of quote-unquote quarantine? I think it was the 13th that our office Mm. said go virtual. Yeah, so about 10 days ago. Oh, God, I really thought it was so much longer than that. Fuck. It's only been 10 days. The days are bleeding bleeding into each other for me. Here's the thing that's weird. I've, I've worked from home for a long time, and the thing that's scaring me is how not different this all feels and it's making me realize oh my god am i way more introverted than i thought really the only thing that's changed aside from obviously the state of the actual world and how bad it is is just all of my friends are going insane that's really the only notable noticeable difference that i've personally felt uh so i'm very lucky i guess i'm very fortunate but i do worry about all of my friends guys it's okay to just sit on the couch inside it's not no <laughs> two things with that miles one I used to work from home, so I remember thinking when they made the announcement, which Ellie was there because we work at the same company, mm-hmm. and they brought us, they had, they put like an emergency meeting on the Cal, which is always fun. Yeah. And super relaxed, but very mandatory meeting. <laughs> Thanks for yeah. coming. And they came in, and I kind of had a feeling that's what it was going to be. And I remember thinking, oh, this is fine because I was a freelancer forever, and I would edit, and I can, I can totally work from home. And what I have been forced to confront which i'm furious about is that uh i didn't i very rarely worked from home when i worked from home like i would go to different coffee shops i'd go to the library oh dude on the first day my brain was trapped in this 10 minute loop that was like oh you could go to a coffee shop oh wait oh you could go to the library oh wait oh you could go to a restaurant oh wait and i was like am i oh my god brain learn learn this information we should ask uh, our boss ellie next time we have like a zooms conversation yeah uh, which of our team he would sacrifice first to save the rest that's very yeah like that i think he'd love it yeah he really love it he always responds Uh, well to your questions (laughs) he loves loves your hypotheticals he do he do (laughs) he's like hey Uh, cameron so if you're on a mountain and he's like oh god (laughs) when i um when i first started working at uh my current company rooster teeth I had to go and get my passport updated with uh, a gentleman named Gus, who'd been at the company for a very long time. And I was very scared and very nervous as he was driving me there. And uh, we were stopped at a light. And I turned to him and I said, hey, how do you feel about hypothetical questions? And he said, I hate them. And then I said, (laughs) oh. And then we rode in silence the rest of the way. Yum. That amount of awkwardness is like fuel for an English person. I'm like, mm. we're very good friends now, but we both still just think back to that moment when we were first getting acquainted with one another. Okay, listen yeah. to me. It's time listen for the mini me. game. 
Listen to me. Listen to me. Fact, 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 bang, 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 bang. <gasps> fact, 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 bang, 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 bang. Fact, bang. I have a fact bang. Ellie gave us a mandate. And she was like, in, not, in so many words, she was like, hey, let's not bum people out. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, in I light was... of everything, let's try to have things to talk about that are fun. Yeah, so maybe it's just like not somebody who's like, guess who murdered their whole family? Yeah. My dad, and I'm a ghost. Yeah, ghost yeah, friend. Yeah. But now I found this really cool thing. And I guess now that I'm thinking about it in real time, it might bum you out, but I don't think it will. I think you will see the joy in this. I think oh, you'll really boy. like it. Okay. Which is that I found out. Make a meat choose That joy. in ancient, ancient Greece and ancient Rome. I'm in. I thought you would be. They weren't allowed, there were no like pet cemeteries and they weren't allowed to like bury their pets huh. in the same mausoleums where they buried humans because you know there was a lot of like ceremonial rites around the dead. Right. Mm -hmm. In those cultures. Yes, so yes, yes. pet owners would create like little like sort of side of the road pet cemeteries or like little like gravestones like on their property. And they, archaeologists have been finding the epitaphs to the people would leave to their dogs from like Aww. literally like 3,000 dogs. Oh, they're always like beautiful dogs poetry ago. too. 3,000 dogs, dogs ago. I wanted to read some of these to you because I just loved them so much and they made me so happy. And they made me think of Mamba, even though he's a cat and he's alive and he'll never die. So, okay, here's some, ready? Hit me. Uh, I am in tears while carrying you to your last resting place, as much as I rejoiced when bringing you home in my own hands 15 years ago. Aww. Like, they're all like poetry. They're yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. Hey, uh, wasn't the mandate to not bum us the fuck out? I mean, <laughs> I think this is really beautiful. There's beauty okay, and sadness, Miles. To Helena, foster child, soul without comparison and deserving of praise. Oh. Which is basically saying to Helena, a very good girl. A very good girl. Very good girl. And that's how, that's part of the way, honestly, that archaeologists yeah, found out that in ancient Rome, they uh, people used to call their dogs, especially if they were small, like lap dogs, they'd call them foster children. Oh. Oh. <laughs> 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 yeah. Back then, they considered pets members of the family, like we do now. Oh, oh Chelsea. my God. Chelsea, Chelsea, you know that dogs go straight to my heart. Okay, but I got one more for you because I really like this one and okay. I also felt like it was very English. Okay. Ready? Yep. I will be pandered to. Okay. Maya never barked without reason, but now he is silent. <sighs> what you would say about like your fellow warrior. Yeah. Well, dogs you know I mean? like, fucking it's, rule. It's true. It's full of like so much respect. Dogs are you know amazing. I mean? We don't deserve them. Ten points to dogs. Ten points to dogs. Ten points to dogs. The point of thing is that we have never deserved them. Okay, mini game time. Mini game time. Yeah. Mini game time. Um. Oh, Miles. <laughs> what? Do you want to kick us off? I do because I'm trying to be fun as hell. That is the title for my what topic? Fun today. as hell. Fun as hell. Is it about? Some idea that maybe hell is fun. Because I have to tell you, it is not. <laughs> it's it's not. It's not that. Okay. Is it about some sort of extreme sport? Ooh, no. Like a very dangerous. Uh, <laughs> wait. This is Miles Luna we're talking with. This is about video games. Possibly. <laughs> 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 I think, I think Ellie gets, uh, how many points do you get when you get the bonus game right? 
I decide. And I decide <laughs> that I have three now. Congratulations. Thank you so to much. Oh, thank you. I know that no one is remembering, but it is still in Women's History Month. Oh my god. So Oh so much Okay, wait, real quick timeout. Did was anybody else like me and just forgot about St. Patrick's Day? Yeah. I was just like, oh, yeah. oh, that's today, huh? Sorry. Everything else was on my mind. Sorry, St. Patrick's Day. You, you don't get it this year. And sorry good. to women's women's history month. My title. Oh, but could you imagine if a woman comes up with a vaccine to coronavirus in Women's History Month? Oh, my God. Miles. Yeah, huh? Slow, yeah. Miles, slow your roll. Sorry, I just slow got Slow your roll a little bit. My title is The Bell and the Ball. The Bell and the Ball. And I'll give Does... you a little hint. Bell is spelt B-E-L-L-E. Yeah, I was about to ask if this was some I Beauty and the Beast shit. The Bell and the Ball. Beauty and the Beast? No. No. What? Is it about... Is it about those girls that played uh, baseball? A League of Their Own? <laughs> yeah. No? <laughs> those girls play baseball! Um, Women can't play baseball! <laughs> uh, is it about your newfound obsession with Animal Crossing, New Horizons, and this is a story about Isabel and several of the different sports you can play in maybe the new Animal Crossing game? I'm very, I'm not deep into it. I don't know if you can play games like that. That would be extremely cute, but no. Um, I will say also, my story is not a bummer, but could be. There are parts of it that are bummer. What is with you two? What is with both of you bringing things? I know we said we're going to have fun this episode, but this might make you sad. Because Chelsea and I, look, Chelsea and I like to zoom out from the situation. Sure. And see the ripple effect through time sometimes, you know? Yeah, okay. Sometimes the really bad things have... That makes us sound like real stoners. (laughs) (laughs) We like to be 30,000 feet up, if you know what I mean. Uh, Oh my God. Well, Um, I'm just saying that the whole story isn't like puppies and rainbows, but it's it's very good with a capital G. uh, Liv Moss. Uh, That's your title title. is Liv Moss? Oh. (laughs) Okay, my title is My Secret Will Go On. Uh, you're actually a serial killer. Oh, sorry, I thought we were guessing the secret. Sorry, sorry. I yes. told sorry. you not to tell anyone. I'm so sorry. Ellie, edited that out. You're, gonna, you're, gonna edit, you're just going to cut that I'm just going to cut, cut that, that right bit out. right out. My secret will go on. Is it anything to do with um, my heart will go on? Yeah, that's where my, my brain space went immediately. Y- yes. I think it's a Titanic secret. A Titanic secret? But does that mean a big secret or like the literal big boat? I was going going with the boat on that one, but you know what? I like the doors of possibilities. Why are we playing charades now? (laughs) I did not consider the size of the boat. So this is not your standard issue, what topic? This is not the, like, this is going to blow your mind, you never heard of this thing. But it's one of those, like, hey, little you, ever, you, ever think, you ever think about this? Kind of what topics. Okay. I think I'm, I'm attempting to take something that is seemingly ordinary and showing to you that it's actually pretty fucking extraordinary. So let's get started ones. with fun as hell. We're going to do some team participation here. So I want to start this off with a question to the two of you. Okay. All right. <gasps> yes, do we get to be a double-headed beast again? Oh, God. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, sure, yeah, sure, Thank yeah. Thank you. Okay, so let's pretend 
you're an action hero like John Wick, Black Widow, <gasps> James Bond, etc. The two-headed woman, yeah. You enter a room and across the entrance from you are five armed bad guys. What's the first thing you do? I turn to my other head and I say, oh, we're in a bit of a sticky wicket. <laughs> Good. Chelsea, second head, go. That's when I execute like a perfect like backwards 180 spin using like the force of my other head that's not really doing anything but talking about sticky wickets to just to kind of like pull us backwards and we do like a really cool sort of like Trinity from the Matrix mm. like backwards kickflip thing. I'll have you know your and... other head has never looked more offended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's upset. Yeah, your part is really important, Ellie, because you were providing that counterbalance so we can really get, <laughs> really uh, I'm sorry to say both you guys, I don't know how, how well you would do because the first thing you got to do. We are one. Thank you. Is assess the situation. That's what I did. You just I, said we're in a sticky wicket. I said, hey, you know what? She assessed it. You know what? That's right. Half of that double-headed woman <laughs> remains. <gasps> Who'd have thunk it? Train spies and killers in movies always have years of knowledge and experience and instinct, right? They ID the weapons. They check their environment. They're searching for weaknesses. They're, they're immediately finding cover. Like, all this shit. It's super awesome. Some real fucking, like, train from birth horror story. But it's very cool in this one blockbuster type situation. Okay. Now, how do you give someone who sits down to play a first-person shooter, that same killer instinct. How do you make an average person feel like they're unstoppable? Well. Turn-based gaming. Turn-based combat. <laughs> the VAT system. <laughs> <laughs> well. Am these... I wrong? <laughs> <laughs> well, these are the kinds of questions John Carmack, John Romero, and the other talents at id Software were asking themselves during the 1993 development of Doom. Heavy metal. Quick aside. Yeah. I saw a very funny meme today. Ooh, love those good memes. That said, tell us about the internet. That it said, as we're all learning to work from home, and it was Zoom Eternal. And I really like it. It's really, really good. Thank you. I like that. I do like that. Okay, Doom. What's so special about Doom? In case you're not familiar, Doom was a first-person shooter released for the PC that is widely regarded as the grandfather of all modern shooters. That's when it was like 10 pixels, right? It, it was. You know what? It was exactly 10 pixels. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That, they All 10 of them, they had them there. All 10 of them. Yeah, they were like, guys, get together, please. We need to make you look like a gun. Like, look, it's a demon. Yeah. <laughs> so Doom completely shook the industry the year it was released, and honestly, it could just be an entire topic of its own one day on the show. Uh, but today, the reason I'm talking about this, the reason it's on my mind is because id and Bethesda have just released the second installment of their reboot of the franchise, Doom Eternal, hence the hilarious memes. Uh, I love it. I love it. I love it do so much. I do. love it. I love it. Just like I loved the 2016 reboot. It's so good. Oh, you got um, to experience my reaction to Doom for the first time. Yeah, Ellie watched me play Doom 2016 for the first time last week and when I... um ripped an imp in half with my bare hands. It was like he was sitting next to Beatrix Potter for some reason. I was like, oh goodness! Oh! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh! <laughs> yeah. I was losing my mind like my grandma. I don't know what happened. <laughs> you became extremely old and British. I did. I was like, oh, go cool, crikey! <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Um, dear listener, if you're interested in games and the history of Doom, then before I even get started, I'd like to highly recommend the book Masters of Doom, written by David Kushner. It's really, really great biography. Uh, and I also have to recommend a YouTube channel uh, by a creator named Mark Brown. The channel is titled Game Maker's Toolkit. I'm a patron supporter of his work, huge fan. And his video, What okay. We Can Learn from Doom, is a major source of a lot of the information that I've brought today. So please do uh, check him out. That's Game Maker's Toolkit. Okay. Now, for all of you that aren't interested in video games, <laughs> the listener out there that's like inches away from hitting that skip button. No, 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 no. Because we're not really going to talk a ton about video games. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about the human mind. Bum, 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 bum. Oh Hell my yeah. god. Hell yeah. I love it. Really great first person shooters aren't actually all about shooting. There's, yeah, a lot of like instinct based uh, skill involved. But the most important skills are actually planning, problem solving, and decision making under stress. So let's go back to the action hero example, right? So how do you get someone uh, to enter a room? Assess the threat immediately and then spring into action. You teach them. That's yes. it. It's not the sexy answer, but it's the true one. <laughs> oh my god. I don't need to have you the rest of this. You sounded like beer. my mom just then. <laughs> what does that mean? That's just like something, something is happening. Something that she'd say. <laughs> Might not be the sexy answer, but it's the true one. And then everyone would be like, Mom, don't, oh, don't Ellie, say that. Quote, Ellie's mom, Ellie's. in parentheses, but actually Miles Luna. I can't, I can't wait, for wait for you to get in trouble for that. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's talk a little bit about game AI. So a huge part of game design is teaching players something and then testing to see if they've mastered what they learned. Things like game mechanics are gonna come to mind. Jumping or um, like if you find a special item, Legend of Zelda does this a lot. You go into a dungeon, you find the crossbow and then, hey, guess what? The boss that you have to beat at the end, you kill it with the crossbow. Um, but people often forget that there's actually a lot to be learned from game enemies themselves. Generally speaking, People tend to make fun of non-playable characters and enemies in video games because they often behave like weirdly and irrationally. Like that shit's all over Wreck-It Ralph. There's that new, uh, the Ryan Reynolds movie, Free Guy, is coming out, which seems to be nothing but like our gaming memes from 10 years ago. Like Ew. that's like. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> so, so people rip on that stuff a lot in like stealth games. Guards will walk set paths perfectly uh if you kill the power to a building then someone is always going to come check on it and they will always go back to their business once the issue is fixed like stuff like that so anyway so i was at the place i was like huh yeah <laughs> must have been the wind yeah so must anyway, have been the wind the is the fucking like, line right <laughs> like you could you could kill 10 men in a room and a fucking russian like spetsnaz whatever walks in and is like I must be hearing some things. <laughs> like, yeah, this shit's been around forever, but there's a fucking reason. The reason uh, developers have their AI follow very strict rules is often so that players can learn those rules and then manipulate them. And Doom has to do this very, 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 very quickly, which is why it utilizes something extremely well. And that something, get ready for it, is called orthogonal unit differentiation. 
orthogonal, orthogonal unit, unit differentiation. Okay. The definition yes, of this uh, <laughs> is when units in a game can be described by actions, abilities, and characteristics that are orthogonal to each other regarding functionality. And this phrase was coined by Harvey Smith, who was a designer on Deus Ex, very, what, very famous game. What orthogonal mean? It essentially means like independent of. So um, Matthias Voich, apologies if I have that name wrong, uh, he was a Mafia 3 design director. He kind of summed this up in regards to what we're talking about very effectively. Uh, he said, quote, The reason Doom works so well is because each enemy represents a distinct, consistent, and discernible behavior that can be learned. Is, is this a good example of what you're talking about? Uh, the first Halo game, mm-hmm. you learned what the different, like, different races of alien, how they responded, and like how they attacked and how they defended. That is exactly, that is exactly the kind of stuff we're talking about. Yes. Halo, as well as um, Half-Life series uh, and several others are games that use this idea very, 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 very well, even more so than what we've already talked about. So, oh, it's like watching cheese play with water. Go on. Like watching cheese ball. She'll like see the water come like from the tap and she'll be like well that looks like a tube and then she'll look at the water in the base and be like but that looks like a rectangle solid and then so she puts a little paw through the tube and then she's like but what <laughs> yeah 100 <laughs> and she flicks it off and then she does it 75 more times so she would be very very bad at learning uh in in video games but she is also so she's a not cat. orthogonal she's not <laughs> means but sure we'll go with it <laughs> no i appreciate exactly what it means she's no orthogonal and she'll never no be orthogonal and don't you ever say that about her so <laughs> taking you back to doom uh enemies cool. in doom all have distinct behaviors and immediately recognizable designs so just to name a few zombie soldiers look more or less human they you know they make groany sounds sure uh and they attack you with Hit scan weapons. A hit scan weapon is essentially enemy pulls trigger on gun. There's a percentage that you then immediately take damage. That's it. It's done. If if the dice roll was bad, you're taking damage. Imps are muscular, demonic bipeds. They make like a clicky, horrible like sound, uh, and they throw really slow moving fireballs. Does a lot of damage, but you can avoid. Uh, demons are these big brutish creatures that like roar and charge straight at you with melee attacks. And there's a handful more. But thanks to their appearance, behaviors, and in a lot of cases, sounds, players very quickly become accustomed to the enemies in Doom, as well as how to deal with them. They make that shortcut that Cheeseball just can't. Yeah, she they just, just can't. They, so, so <laughs> she does her best, though. <laughs> She's so fat, so weak. She can't push open a door that's not latched. (laughs) It's true. She could never be one of these players. So you learn these enemy types, and then essentially what that means is players are no longer going to walk into a room and fire randomly at any enemies they see. They're going to walk into a room and immediately begin prioritization so they might tell themselves imps fireballs can be easily avoided by sidestepping but zombie soldiers and their hit scan weapons need to be eliminated first in order to keep damage low and so long as you maintain a reasonable distance between yourself and any melee demons throughout this process then you should be good and all that needs to happen immediately because doom is an extremely fast-paced high-pressure game 
But what makes Doom really unique is that unlike a lot of shooters where the game just kind of ups the difficulty by throwing like more bad guys at you or like the big brother strong boy versions of older bad guys, <laughs> uh, Doom really only has about seven enemy types that it can throw at you, but it does so in different arrangements that then creates new situations that require second to second decision making every single time. And this mm. takes us back to Halo Half-Life, these are games that also only have around, like, seven-ish or so enemies. Halo more than more so than Half-Life. Yeah. Um, but here's a quick fact-bang within the what topic. Whoa. Oh, my, oh my God. What a play. Doom has seven enemy types, which coincidentally is the number of objects an average human can keep in working memory. That's another shout-out to Mark Brown and the Game Maker's Toolkit oh, right there. That is oh. could Not be me, one though, of the reasons. because I'm orthogonal, so I can actually <laughs> keep, like, 12 or 13. Another one of the reasons, planned or not, Doom's gameplay loop works really fucking well. So all of this means, essentially, that... When you are standing in front of a door and you can hear the horrible demonic growls on the other side, you're not going to be nervous. You're not going to fire aimlessly into the hordes of evil. You are going to walk inside and engage in a dance of bloody violence that only you can pull off. Because the game has been teaching you how since you pressed start. And it's one of the many reasons why Doom's legacy still lives on to this day. And why I'm probably going to play some more of it when we finish recording. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah extremely topical topic thank you thank you it's a typical topical topic. it's all i think about so i'm going to give you three points off the bat for the typical topical topic thank you very much i'm going to give you five points because you kind of reminded me of john oliver in your delivery there oh <gasps> Extremely yeah. polished. Oh goodness gracious, thank you. You had so little much. asides, little moments of comedy. You had a fact bang. <laughs> Within a thing. Yeah, I was, was excited about the fact bang. So I'm just going to give you five points and I'm going to call it HBO. Oh, all right. I'm going to take away one point because mm-hmm. you never said Cacodemon, and that's my favorite part. Oh, man. I cut the enemy list short because I, I didn't want to go on too long. But yeah, the Cacodemons. Yeah. Yeah. That can't be real. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for so the points. So my points. Oh, my God. Miles, I thought, well, first of all, I thought it was so orthogonal. I thought the orthogonalism <laughs> that you brought to it was just like, I mean, just like really the essence of that word that you want. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, in a yeah, topic. Yeah. That's really such an orthogonal thing to say. You. This is a really uh, orthogonal so I'm gonna thing. You, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and give you six points right off the bat for orthogonalism Whoa. and being so orthogonal. And then after that, I will say two points for style. Thank you. Um, and then I'll give you an additional point because this is a topic that I am very interested in. How fascinating it is as like a microcosm to see how video game behavior influences human behavior, vice versa. Oh, it's and you see emerging, like wild. emergent behaviors in video games. And I love that you just kind of keep pushing that pleasure button for me. <laughs> so, uh, just to help, uh, yeah, and I wish I hadn't said it. And I wish I hadn't said it, but I did. And you know what? It's fine. We're all trapped and we'll never see each other again. So I'll say what I want to say, nine points. Chelsea out. Thank you. Okay, so my secret will go on. Oh, yes. I'm so excited for this one. 
It's been 84 years. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) Fun fact, mini uh, personal fact bang. I was a child and Titanic came out, in my memory, in the summer. And it was the first time I really loved a movie. And also, I was an only child and hard to please. And I think my parents were looking for any way to like chill me out. So that is all to say that I saw Titanic eight times in the theater that summer because I was obsessed with it. Oh and I just like every single time I was like, let's just go see Titanic. And my mom would be like, okay. And, uh, and every single time she'd cover my eyes when they had sex in that car. Spoiler alert, they do have sex in a car on a boat. It's crazy. Oh but my I gosh. So far. <laughs> anyway. We all know about the Titanic, sunk April 14th, 1912, was thought to be unsinkable, which I think is really like those two things are like the allure of the Titanic story. Cause mm-hmm. like ships be sinking, not yeah. all the time, but they yeah, do. What a bold but people claim. freak out about the Titanic because the movie was so great. And also <laughs> because they were like, oh, this ship's unsinkable. And then it sunk the first time it tried to go out. It was what extremely I find, One thing I find amazing about the Titanic is that like, because of the legacy of it, I kind of, as a kid, always imagined that like it was still the biggest boat ever made. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't until like I think honestly, like in my early teens, where I saw a cruise ship and I was like, wow, like if that's a cruise ship, the Titanic must have been massive. <laughs> well, I thought the same thing. And Ellie, my mom I don't was like, uh, no, that's like four times the size. And <laughs> I'm like, what? But the Titanic's the biggest boat ever. It's Titanic. <laughs> That's why it sunk. It flew too. It swam too close to the sun. It swam too close to the sun. It was so big. Was some weird waters yeah. it was in. <laughs> but yeah, that kind okay, of pissed so, me off, to be honest. But carry on, carry on. So, so what so we're wait. figuring out right now, I feel, and mm-hmm. Miles is yet to tell his Titanic story. But I'm assuming that's how he lost his virginity. I was just gonna uh, say minus five points of the Titanic for for not being the biggest boat. So we've all talked about how we have this collective cultural memory just kind of around the Titanic. But do you know the story of how the Titanic was found after it sank? Uh, no. I know an old ass lady dropped a big old jewel over the side, and she made yes. this sound. That part. <laughs> That part was real, and God, just I and I don't want to I don't want to belabor this point, but just the most annoying part of that movie. Why would she do that? He paid all that money to bring her out on this expedition. She's a billion years old. Why wouldn't she just give it to him? If you so got me, Chelsea, get down, get down off the soapbox. It's someone guys, else's turn. Do you guys remember when you could like clip sounds and make your own message tones? Yeah, with them? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. For like the longest time, my message tone was the noise she makes when she drops it out of the ocean. My Motorola razor would go off and it would go. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's one I'm of the like... best things I've learned about you. Wow. That's incredible. Well, it's I'm one of those like... like fun facts, like how uh so you had oh, this, yeah. you had the sound of Titanic old woman as your cell phone text message receiver, and oh, then you oh. fucking hate Scooby Doo. Yeah. Are two of my favorite weird but... specific facts about you. I do want to get off of this podcast and then immediately look up like if there is a way to. <laughs> upload text tones in the year of our lord 2020 because i got i don't know about y'all but a lot of time on my hands (laughs) back to how the titanic was discovered yep okay this story fucking rules so the titanic was discovered on the ocean floor in 1985 and the story has always been 
that Robert Ballard, renowned oceanographer, and and Ellie, I need you to calm down because this is about to be your new like bucket list goal dream job in life. He is an explorer in residence with National Geographic. So they just pay him to be an explorer. Oh! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is so, so cool. <laughs> I know. So they, they have a limited amount of positions and grants that they give out. Uh, and they select people with a deep curiosity about the planet to be an explorer. Me, in please. Yeah. National so, Geographic. Kathy Geographic, if you're listening. <laughs> Kathy Geographic. Miss Geographic. Um, so Robert Ballard in, discovered it in 1985, and the story has always been 1985. That's already amazing to me. I thought it was way earlier than that. Yeah, me too. No, because and I I don't want to alarm you, Miles, but the ocean pretty fucking big. What? They had a real hard time finding it, but in 1982, Robert Ballard thought that he had kind of at least sort of localized the area based on, um, you know, like the last known location, based on eyewitness accounts that they still had written down and based on sort of like newer science around like the way the currents worked under like in the deep sea. He thought he had kind of narrowed it down to a general area and he had built this special kind of deep sea explorer, like little mini sub monster thing uh similar to what you saw in the titanic movies that james cameron like really gets his dick hard about yeah, yeah. oh so, yeah okay yeah so he went to the u.s navy and he asked if they would fund this and help him <laughs> build this like prototype deep sea explorer so he could find the titanic he was just a big sexy navy, explorer going said, money please well, money please yeah no they because he needed funding i mean this is really like could you do it no like it was really expensive and so he went to the Navy, and the story has always been that the Navy said uh, they took off their hat, you know, and they put it over their heart, and they said, yes, for my fallen brethren down in Davy Jones' locker, I will aid you in this quest. And they went and did it, and then in 1985, he found it. That is not what happened. And it wasn't until 2008 that we found out that that whole story was actually a lie. And what? Yeah. Huh? So what actually happened is in 1982, Robert Ballard brought his prototype to the U.S. Navy and said, hey, I've come up with this design for this deep sea exploration. And I think I kind of know the general area on the ocean floor where the Titanic is. I think it'd be incredible if we could find it. Uh, you know, nobody has seen it since it went down. And this is what we're going to do. And the Navy guy took his hat off and he put it over his heart. And he said, get the fuck out of here. stupid. <laughs> Boats are fucking gay, and I'm not going to help you. And that's the kind of thing that they would say back in 1985. That's, that uh, actually tracks. That tracks. So they said no. But later, they called him back, and they were like, hey, so about your Titanic boat idea. And he was like, oh, I can do it. And they were like, no. But we actually, we have sort of, kind of, maybe, definitely lost a couple of our submarines and we think that they're in that same area. Whoa. So we will fund your boat thing if you'll go look for our submarines instead. We want to buy your, like, we're interested in your technology. We want to buy it. We want to fund it. We want you oh. to do the exploration, but you have to go find these submarines. And he goes, oh, okay. So I can, if I go find the submarines, they were called the USS Thresher and the USS Scorpion. By the way, fucking dope. Uh, way better than Titanic. So Robert Ballard was like, yeah, definitely. Um, but 
so I can go find those and then I can find the Titanic. And they were like, no. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Stop talking about the fucking Titanic. You're a fucking Nobody nerd. Why, why do you love this boat? Yeah. And then, so then, and this is, this is fun. He then said, okay, so what if, what if like the expedition is like 60 days and I find both of the submarines for you guys within like 45 days, then can I use the last 15 days to look for the Titanic? And the actual, (laughs) all the other quotes, spoiler alert that I've said are uh, ad-libbed, they're creative, but this quote is real. From the uh, vice admiral who was interviewed about this in 2008, he was like, I was a little short with him (laughs) because (laughs) at this point they had told him several times that like they were not interested in the Titanic at all. Uh, Shut up. Shut up. And so they never gave him explicit permission to search for the Titanic, uh, but he decided to take that as sort of like a wink and a nod and was like, and told his boys, all right, this is what we're doing. So we're going to go look for the USS Thresher and the USS Scorpion. And then if there's uh, time, we get to look for the Titanic. I love it. So, it's like a guy who doesn't get the message. Did not get the message. <laughs> and the thing is, is that the Navy probably knew that he was going to do this, right? Because he just never, he never made it a secret. <laughs> Right. That he really that he really was only interested in looking for the Titanic. But here's why they were willing to play ball. You guys ready? Yeah. I don't know if I am, but let's go. Well, I think you are. So all of it remember, all of this was happening in nineteen eighty two. Okay. And the Navy wanted the, him to look for submarines. Mm-hmm. Can you think of a reason why the US Navy would want someone to look for submarines but would want to have a reasonable cover story? The Cold War. Like the Cold War. Yes. Cold War, baby. So then somebody finally kind of put two and two together in the Navy and they said, "Okay, you can do this and we're going to officially tell everyone and like all the paperwork and everything that's not super secret classified uh-huh. all the paperwork is going to say this is an expedition to find the Titanic but really you're going to be finding these submarines and the reason why is because they couldn't figure out why the submarines had sunk and they thought that maybe the USSR the Soviets had um, shot it down that or, is so sh- wild oh yes so Robert Ballard goes out in his little expedition. He goes to the North Atlantic, and he is diving at this point depths between 10,000 and 15,000 feet. Yeek. That's so spooky. This is fun, and the most fun part about this is that, again, it was classified until 2008. The other reason they were so concerned with finding these two submarines it's not just because they wanted definitive proof that the soviets had shot it down it's also because these two submarines were powered with nuclear reactors oh yeah so they were like all right (laughs) so either the soviets or somebody shot these down and there's big nuclear reactors sitting at the bottom of the ocean with like you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds of pressure just bearing down on them. Um, and we don't know what will happen. <laughs> or the Soviets shot it down and were there and took the nuclear reactors, in which case they have the nuclear... Like, all of this sounds like the plot of, like, a James Bond movie. It, it, 100% it all sounds bad. Can you imagine, like, they're sitting there and it's like, it's like a fucking, like, 
Armageddon style, like Michael Bay movie, and the lighting <laughs> is really harsh, and the Navy guy's like, I need you to get down there, I need you to find my nuclear reactor, I need you to shut it down. And and then like this little like science nerd's like, okay, yeah, but then kinda like I look for my boat and they're like, Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so Robert Ballard, not only does he find the Thresher and the Scorpion, and he is able to definitively prove, based on the wreckage, that they were not shot down and that the nuclear reactors are not are actually at the bottom of the ocean and not a threat, uh, not about to explode. But what's really fun is that is it's that studying the these wrecks actually, actually taught him how to find the Titanic. It literally, it works Whoa. like a three-act structure of a thriller movie because he finds these submarines and he's like, oh, I get it. They didn't get shot down. What happened was uh, they had a hull failure. And then as they sunk down, the pressure was so enormous as the further they got that they literally exploded from pressure oh. or like imploded like on themselves. And he's like, oh, so when something implodes, like that far down, it, the debris from the wrecked ship and the debris ends up getting spread out based on the current. And then he was like, oh my God, that's why no one's ever been able to find the Titanic because the Titanic, while not being the biggest ship of all time, like Ellie and I thought as children, was <laughs> bigger than a submarine. So when yeah. it sunk, first of all, one part sunk faster than the other parks it was heavier but also when it got low enough it imploded and on itself created oh. craters and then spread out way further away from the crash from the initial like sink site and so robert ballard and his team were able to trace craters in the ocean floor literally like a breadcrumb trail wow and a few nights later they found first the hull and then a few debris later the stern i think the other part the ass of the ship <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they were able to find all the parts of the ship and they became the first people to find the titanic wow and can you imagine cool. the look on that little nerd's face oh. when he came topside and was like i did both <laughs> <laughs> always was an overachiever and then he gets a wedgie and shoved into the ocean <laughs> yeah so holy shit can that you was imagine being like down there in that little like pod thing Ugh. and like with the lights and you just come across the like 84 year old woman just yeah. there with the necklace <laughs> yeah you just, you just like what you know to be the titanic that must have been amazing yeah so he had he only had 12 days to spare after finding the thresher and the scorpion wow. and he was able to put together that information in real time while underwater and find the titanic uh, and then is now since used as an explorer and residence has used that same technique that sort of like crater uh, debris current technique mm -hmm. to find other sunken ships and treasures treasures all over the world yes he's found treasures and but he had that whole time as he became known as the first man to find the Titanic and he got like all this huge press and it was this big deal he got to publish the first ever photos of the Titanic on the ocean floor he was never allowed to tell anyone why he was actually down there. He had to be like, oh, yeah, the Navy's always been so supportive of this. <laughs> they really believed in my vision and they paid for it and nothing. And it was all regular and nothing ever else happened. And there were no nuclear reactors. So it's chill. And 
<laughs> and it wasn't until 2008 that that information was declassified and they could talk about it. That's amazing. Wow. Chelsea. That's crazy. Fucking, it, what you brought was Titanic. Yeah. Oh. It was massive. It was big. Oh my God. Uh, oh boy. I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to give you four points, uh, for having researched that so well and told it in such a wonderful way. Thank you. Um, and then I'm going to give you, and and this, I honestly, I wasn't expecting it, but I'm giving you eight points. <gasps> One for each time you saw Titanic in theaters. Oh. <laughs> yes. Hell I knew yeah. that was going to come in handy someday. There you go. And, sure. Hey, and like, but like most of those points should honestly go to your mom. <laughs> oh, I'll let her know. Cool. Maybe Ellie, when, Ellie, when you do the graphic for social, you can do like six points for me and then like, you know, like four points for like Molly Harfouche and just like add her yeah. as like a very, very small jar in the corner. <laughs> just a teeny tiny <laughs> little jar. <laughs> I'm going to start off with seven points because the movie Titanic came out in 1997. It's true. Um, It was just a babe. And it was a formative part of all of our childhoods, I would say. Um, Who's to say that, like, who would we give a shit about the Titanic if Titanic had never come out? I mean, that was the first time I saw boobies. And so, like, that really is the forever changed. The main takeaway from that entire thing wasn't so much about the boat, but that, like, whoa, did you guys know about these things called boobies? boobies That was kind of how that went. Great titties. Seven year old miles. Just like, whoa, whoa. Whoa. I was not allowed to see the titties. Like, my mom would cover my eyes. I remember uh, it was on in, uh, like, the TV room. And I heard my dad walking into the room and it was during like the naked drawing part. And in my dumb kid brain, I was like, quick, fall asleep. And so like, I pretended to be <laughs> pretend, asleep for some reason. Sleeping. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pulled a real community moment. I was just like, pretend to be asleep. And I heard my father come in and stop. And then he just went, I know you're watching. And then he just <laughs> walked out of the room and he was right. He was right. <laughs> Just watching. That's amazing. My dad always knows. He always knew. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, dads always know. Yeah. So seven points for 1997. I am gonna. Mm, am I? I don't know. I don't think I am. <laughs> Great. I'm gonna give you two further points for reminding me about my ringtone. Mm. Oh yes. My message tone. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm so excited. The bell and the ball. What does it mean? When Alice Ball made the discovery that brought... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah? What are you... talking about something and then we just pretend like it's the person's last name like we literally just did it where we were like oh miss geographic can i please have this job and then you were and then we were like oh what's gonna be the bell the ball what's it gonna mean and then you're like so miss ball <laughs> anyway it doesn't matter none well, of this is important i just had like you. a total breakdown about it <laughs> hey we're all about to have a total breakdown from something so we're glad you got yours out oh, there this is a story about leprosy 
about yeah the friends we made along the way (laughs) is an amazing woman by the name of alice ball who never got the credit she deserved for the incredible thing that she did that changed history so don't we feel like shitheads for laughing (laughs) no i'm ready i'm ready to hear her story i want to learn her story and again just like uh, just one, just one more time for the audience. The theme of this episode was bring stories that are really happy. I am trying. <laughs> <laughs> I am bringing a story that has a massive, big picture impact on the world. I will not let coronavirus erode our appreciation of women in history. And I am presenting a very important topic about <laughs> women, and it is in the scheme of things mm-hmm. uplifting perhaps not directly but you have to zoom out <laughs> look, look this is the most British thing about you and I'm here for it please tell us this sad story about a woman who never got credit for leprosy <laughs> not because oh my god take us away change us change us change us by the end of this bit I, I want to learn get, story you I'm get so 10 points you get I'm telling you right now I'm gonna give you 10 points right out the gate if by the end of this by the end of this bit I'm like oh man what a happy story that <laughs> is actually quite a challenge because it's pretty depressing <laughs> Oh my god. Okay. Right. okay. This is a story about Alice Ball, a black woman in the Jim Crow era America. It's not who a good time. Who became a pioneer in science. Damn. Yeah. Okay. Get, tell me more about this amazing woman. When she made the discovery that brought leprosy patients back from certain death. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. She was 22 years old. <sighs> Again, making me oh feel god, like a piece of me. shit. Uh,. Leprosy is like one of the oldest diseases. It's like literally in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's in many very. It's a very like ancient disease, mm-hmm. and you might know that like it's also very like stigmatized as well. Right. Like quite often, right. yeah. Like there's the whole this whole you know. I don't know if you've heard of leper colonies, but basically, if you had leprosy because it was contagious by contact, you would just get like sent out of the town or village that you lived in and sent to the leper colony where people who had this disease lived pretty rough places hmm. we didn't get even a kind of treatment going for this until the 20th century holy shit i did not know that yes i knew that it was an ancient disease mm-hmm. i didn't realize it was an issue well into the 20th century oh yeah so decades before even the development of antibiotics alice ball devised a method for treating leprosy that allowed them to live without being ostracized or isolated it was like an instant cure. Uh, it wasn't a cure, but it was like an instant treatment of all of the symptoms. Whoa. So let me tell you her story. Tell her story. Please. Okay. July 24th, 1892, Laura and James Ball welcomed their first daughter, Alice, to their family. She was born in Seattle. Her dad worked as a lawyer and her mom was a photographer. She was from a pretty famous family because her grandfather was a pioneer as one of the first photographers to use this Deguerrero type method which you might see in like if you print an image onto metal Mm. oh yeah Deguerrero type Deguerrero type thank you her grandfather pioneered that 
Oh, cool. They moved to Honolulu for a few years before they returned to Seattle, where she graduated high school in 1910. Mm -hmm. She received top marks, and she enrolled at the University of Washington to study pharmacy and chemistry. She earned a degree in pharmaceutical chemistry, returned to Hawaii for her master's degree in chemistry at the College of Hawaii, which is now the University of Hawaii. She was both the first woman and the first African-American to earn a master's degree in chemistry from the College of Hawaii. Damn. Yeah. Hell yeah. So she rules. That's an aloha. Yeah, she freaking rules. Her specialism in chemistry was isolating active components and things. Mm. Uh, she would take things like the kava root, which was a native plant to Pacific Islands. Uh, is a native uh. plant. Her whole thing was extracting what is useful about plants, which is obviously like massively influential of like the entire cosmetic industry. Because she was the first woman and the first black student to earn a master's degree from the College of Hawaii, they offered her a position as a chemistry instructor. She became the first woman to teach chemistry at the college at 23 years old. Holy shit. Yeah. Hell yeah. In addition to her teaching, she continued working on her specialism in plant biochemistry in in her lab. And her work was quickly recognized by Dr. Harry T. Holman, who was the director of the Kalihi Leprosy Clinic. So he contacted her and to help find a better treatment for the disease. Leprosy, just for a, a quick fun aside. Ooh, yes. Yeah. The bacteria that causes the skin condition had been identified in 1873. By the early 20th century, treatments had evolved slightly thanks to this, like, super rare, called a chalmugra oil. Whoa. Yeah, a substance derived from the seeds of a tropical evergreen tree, which literally sounds like from some kind of Animal Crossing. <laughs> like, you make medicine! Yeah, Stardew Valley, like, oh, you need to make us chalmugra oil. <laughs> when the oil was applied topically or taken orally or intravenously, Hansen's disease, which is the official name of leprosy, by the way, oh. Hansen's disease. Back bang. Hansen's disease patients experienced some improvement uh, but the results were inconsistent and there were also some pretty uncomfortable side effects which basically seemed like nausea and more leprosy. Like they would get abscesses under the skin. Oh, you got leprosy too now. Fuck. Yeah, so like sometimes it would work, sometimes it didn't. And Holman wanted Ball to isolate the oil and create an injectable treatment instead. Hmm. And okay. within one year, she did exactly that. Oh my God. It's Holy shit. That's yeah. not what I thought you were going to say next. Yeah, she took that. She in what, she was within, just like, yeah, okay. She was like, okay, cool. She was um, like, yeah, I can find the Titanic in 12 years, this is, whatever. This is, still, this is way before <laughs> antibiotics have ever been thought of as possible, which we Whoa. talked about a little bit with uh, Hela cells. That Chelsea's topic about Henrietta Lacks definitely inspired this topic. So we have now like Aww. a little chain. Prior to her innovation, leprosy was considered an incurable disease with no effective treatments at all. Alice Ball first successfully isolated the active ingredient in chalmugra oil. Ball created history's first effective and pain-relieving treatment for leprosy, appropriately named the Ball Method. The Ball Method gave patients formerly seen as hopeless a new lease on life. The treatment completely eliminated their symptoms and proved so effective that leprosy patients around the world were discharged from their isolation in hospitals and in colonies and sent back home. Holy cow. People who did finally get the injections showed remarkable improvements. Um, this is from a guy who's like called Wormanga, who's... Treat, who's done so much research about this uh, i found photographs and they're just startling the person looks like a different person almost immediately then after she's done this 
In a, prep, uh, in a preparatory lecture during World War One, Ball was showing her students how to properly use a gas mask, but an accident during the presentation exposed her to chlorine gas. <gasps> As the Honolulu Pacific commercial advertiser explained while instructing her class in September 1916, Miss Ball suffered from chlorine, from chlorine poisoning. She became oh. seriously ill and returned to Seattle, and she died at the age of 24. Oh my God! No! Even in death, Alice Ball faced barriers in her scientific career because Dr. Arthur Dean, the president of the College of Hawaii, took credit for her research into the Chalmuga oil, and he even officially renamed her discovery the Dean Method. What the fuck? Yeah. What a piece of shit. I thought we specifically said no bummers. Wait. Fortunately, Dr. Holman, who was the guy who first turned to Ball for help in treating leprosy, published a paper that named her as the true inventor of the method. And he says, you have to understand that she was doing this before women had the right to vote. And again, she was an African-American woman. It was phenomenal that she could get this far. And luckily, because of the doctor who originally asked her for help, she has been posthumously credited with everything. Mm. Um, okay, well, that is good. Gra- Paul, Paul's groundbreaking career has finally received the attention it deserves. In 2017, Paul Wormanga established a scholarship opportunity at the University of Hawaii to recognize her. Not only did she overcome the racial and gender barriers of her time to become one of the very few African-American women to earn a master's master's degree in chemistry, but she also developed the first useful treatment for Hansen's disease. Her amazing life was cut too short at the age of 24. Who knows what other marvelous work she could have accomplished had she lived. She now holds a posthumous Medal of Distinction from the University of Hawaii, and there's a plaque on campus under the Oni Chalmugra tree, reminding students and visitors of her achievements. And now, Hawaii recognizes February 29th as Alice Ball Day. Aww. Hey, you know what? All right. Ten points? (gasps) Because she got that award. She got that recognition. She changed lives. I think it's a beautiful story. It is a beautiful story. It's, I mean, she was... 24 years old. Makes me feel like shit. You're right. But God bless people like Alice Ball. I just wanted to tell her story. It's been told. Mm. And I loved it. So I'm going to give the customary. I feel like we're almost moving towards like a gymnastic system where it's like you start out with like a base level of points. Well, yeah. Based on like degree of difficulty like that. Like it's just like <laughs> I've always get started with this like base level of like six points for Ellie because it's like immac you know, it's like aggressively researched, immaculately presented. Uh, as always. Beautiful story that she's brought to the table. I'm gonna give her another two points for her text tone. Uh, I've been holding that one in my back pocket. It's very strong and I can't stop thinking about it. Um <laughs> I am going to take away one point because we specifically said no bummers. That's fair. That's totally fair. And in fact, I think <laughs> but it was I my am going to give back three points Hello. because of how incredibly British it was that Ellie was like, "Oh, no bummers, but this is okay." <laughs> <laughs> But this one, though. Thank you so much for listening to this special isolation episode of uh, What. You can always find it. Not so special, because I think there might be a lot more coming your way. (laughs) That's true. The first, let's say. Uh, You can find this podcast at WhatPod on Twitter and Instagram. We should be uploading some fun stuff there this week. And you can support this podcast at patreon.com forward slash what pod you can also check out those two girls.club for uh, merch and updates and all that kind of fun stuff chelsea where can people find you 
People can find me at Chelsea Harfouche. Wait for it. C-H-E-L-S-E-A-H-A-R-F-O-U-S-H. I know how to spell my own name. Uh, wherever internets are sold. And Miles, where can people find you? Uh, well, I can tell from uh, Chelsea's uh, restrained giggling that it's my time to say that you can find me at the Miles Luna on Instagram <laughs> and Twitter. And uh, yeah, it is pretentious. You can find me at Ellie Main on Instagram and Ellie Maney on Twitter. That's M-A-I-N-E-Y. Um, thanks for listening, y'all. Stay safe. Stay inside. Don't be a dick. Stay inside. Don't be a dick. And learn, Don't be learn a dick. Something. Oh, hey, maybe take this time to uh I don't know. Go learn something? <laughs>